This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to Friday's Liverpool Blood Red podcast with the Echo. Uh, myself, Sean Bradbury on hosting duties today and with me I have live brog supremo, Theo Squires. Theo, how are you doing? Not too bad, Sean. Yeah. Very well, very well. Two presses today so far. Big big day on the blogs. Yeah, it's been busy. Um, different things coming out of both of them, I suppose. Excellent, and we will move on to Klopp's one in due course. Yeah, don't want to spoil it. No, 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 no spoilers yet. And we also have our Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, Paul Ghost. Ghost, how's tricks? Not bad, Sean. Not bad. Busy week as ever, but uh, glad to be back in situ for the, for the latest pod. Excellent. Well, we will crack on with said pod, uh, and we'll start in that press conference. So, Ghostly, go to you first. Um, loads to get through, really, on, on the press alone, because Klopp was on good form. He was, he was talking about this and that, but injury situation, I guess. Let's start there. Joe and Matip, Klopp confirmed, will be out for a bit of a while. A few weeks was was Klopp's exact words, and he was pressed on that and kind of said, well, could be at least a couple. Doesn't sound great. Could obviously include City, which is, which is you know, not too long away. Um, big blow for the Reds? Yeah, I think um, certainly Liverpool under Klopp are always quite closely guarded with their injury timescales. And uh, we've seen it with Alisson, didn't we? I mean, everyone thought at first it wasn't going to be a particularly lengthy one, and then... Weeks go by and Klopp keeps giving us answers and answers. And then before you know it, Alisson's been out for, for over two months. Mm. I think this, unfortunately, might be something similar where Klopp just keeps kind of saying, well, he's not available for this one. What about next week? Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. And then before you know it, Joel Matip might miss the next five or six games. Hopefully I'm wrong on that and he is back from Manchester City, but it's looking highly unlikely at this stage. Um, he's, he's picked up a knee injury, hasn't he, which has, has kept him out. And that's a big blow for Liverpool because he's been in such great form. And if you look at Liverpool's def- other central defenders, obviously we all know about Virgil van Dijk and how great he is and, and has been. But there are maybe one or two question marks over Joe Gomez at the moment and, and Dayan Lovren has always divides opinions. So it could be a little bit of a blow for Liverpool. Well, certainly a, quite a big blow, I'd, I'd suggest. And um, it's looking likely that... I mean, he's certainly going to miss Aston Villa tomorrow, but I think Liverpool can still get by without him then. But... Be a massive uh, issue if he if he does miss Manchester City, which it's looking like that will be the case. Mm. I guess that's the key follow-on point, really, isn't it? Theo, the other centre half options are fit: Lovren and Gomez. You know, no problem. They've been playing recently, but Gomez just part of a back four that conceded five. Not necessarily that there were there were goals on him, but hasn't been in the greatest of form when we've seen him so far this season. And Lovren, I think he recovered to an extent against Spurs, but. A little bit of sloppiness against Genk was arguably a fault for the goal that they scored. How would you see that kind of shaking up? I mean, you know, they're, they're fit and they're available, but do you think it is a, a massive negative for Liverpool or are you not too concerned? I'm not too concerned just because of the fact that Liverpool centre-backs alongside Van Dijk, they've always had uh, a run of games and there's always that spell where they're a bit shaky at first, but when they settle in and they get into it, they always seem to form great partnerships with Van Dijk, like we saw two years ago. Lovren was the best player on the pitch in the Champions League final. Had a really good, strong second half of the season. Obviously reached the World Cup final. And then the defence, um, first half of last season with Joe Gomez, was superb. Like That's probably the best defensive record Liverpool have had mm. in the past couple of years. He was really unfortunate to break his leg at Burnley. And like Gorsty was saying there, when they're playing the cards close to the chest, it was similar with Gomez, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Before you knew it, it was six months. And then Joel Matip, well, we all know how brilliant he's been for the past, past year, I suppose. But they've all got this ability there that they can all do the job. And there's always seems to be that doubt about them when they come in. But when they settle, it's fine. And you, you want to, if you don't want to get worried about these Liverpool defence options, 
especially with City on the horizon. Just look at City. Look at their mm. options at the moment. Like Otamendi's missed a few. John Stones, he's only just back and he's looking really shaky. Obviously, Laporte's out. Um, they've had to have, what, Rodri there, but he's been ruled out. Fernandinho's an aging midfielder. They're in a worse state than Liverpool. Mm. I think that's a fair point. Um, the other player, of course, that you've got to mention on the injury front was Naby Keita. What did Klopp let on about him and what's the situation there? He just said he was going to have to check and, and that was pretty much it. But again, I mean, he's probably... More than anyone, Naby Keita's had his, his injury problems, hasn't he? He's not someone who's had one lengthy injury. He's had about half a dozen little niggles mm. that have kept him out for three weeks here and a month there. and It's it's really disappointing for him and it must be so frustrating because every time he builds up a slight head of steam, injury comes in and, and kind of takes that away. If you look at, he picked up that adductor problem in the Champions League semi-final against Barcelona and then he went on international duty with Guinea and was kind of rushed back for that because he's their talisman. Mm. was never fully fit at that. He got sent home early, picked up another injury just before the Super Cup um, and then comes back from that and picks up another one and I might have even missed a, a little setback somewhere along the way as well. So he's been so unfortunate with injuries, but um, I mean, it, it's, it must be so frustrating for him, but Liverpool fans are still left waiting, aren't they? You know, 18 months since he signed a year he was signed obviously Liverpool knew he was coming a year before he was actually signed so mm. Liverpool fans have waited an awful long time to see the absolute best of Naby Keita and they're still waiting to see it and it's a, it's a frustrating thing for the supporters I can't even imagine how gutted it must be for, for him to keep having these setbacks but um, sooner or later he's going to have to start putting a, a run of games together and show that he can stay injury free and show what he can do because it's I'm getting a little bit worried if I'm honest he was a bit anonymous the other night um, and then w- went off, didn't he, for Curtis Jones, mm-hmm. who uh, was excellent, to be fair to him. He, he took his chance. He, he laid on Divacory to make it four all, was it, on the night? I can't even <laughs> yes. remember now, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I am a little bit concerned about Naby Keita. No one asked about Jadon Shaqiri, funnily enough. He's another one who's had his calf problem, and we've seen with Allison when, when you get that particular injury, it can't keep it out for a couple of months, and... No one asked Klopp about it and he, he he didn't mention it. So he's another one who, who's kind of going under the radar and another one who Liverpool are keeping close to the chest. So it's uh, it's it's interesting the, the way Liverpool kind of handle their injury news and, and what they release to the public. I always remember them bringing out the news about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and how serious his knee injury was around about the same time. It looked like they were going to sign Alisson. And mm. I think that might have been a little bit premeditated from the club to kind of buried the bad news if you like amongst the good news um, because I don't think anyone thought he was going to be out for as long as he was after his initial injury so I think it's very much a tactic from the club and uh, some might say it's quite uh, sensible and, and wise to be, to be doing it that way others would just prefer to know the full extent of players injuries but that's where Liverpool handle it under Jürgen Klopp mm. on, on the cater question then Theo I mean it seems a bit of a perennial one on this pod for the past well this year or so do you do you have any concerns about him? And did, were you thinking this was the point where he was going to kick on after? And Gorsi was right; he wasn't great the other night at all. But came on against United, had that run against Genk where he was he looked pretty pretty sharp as well. What what did you make of him? You know, before the injury, he's definitely one who needs his opportunity, and it's always promising to deliver. Not quite doing it. It's similar to quite a few players in this squad, like you're expecting Ryan Bruce to push on, and it's not quite happened. But with Cater you expect more. There is that expectation. There's the price tag and you're thinking what well, he's coming up to nearly 18 months now. He should have done something. 
And really, we've only had a couple of fleeting moments. Like I think um, the Porto game last year, that little yeah. run where he scored against Huddersfield. Um, just a couple of games at Southampton as well, wasn't it? And he, he did look a good player. He looked so good in pre-season, start of last season. And it, it's not happened for him and he needs opportunities. And it's one of those where Liverpool's midfield is probably the most competitive part of their team. And you look at it, it's like, how is he supposed to get in that and get that run of games if every time he plays two, three games, he's going to break down again? Mm. Um not too worried at this stage just because we've all known how busy this December period coming up is going to be I'm sure we'll get to in a second but there will be opportunities for him to play there as long as he's not out for a prolonged period of time even if he's got a knock going to Qatar that's some of the best medical facilities there are on the planet so I'm sure Jurgen Klopp will be looking at that some extra training for some of these players extra ways to get them back and get them uh, at their best but then you do get to the stage with Naby Keita now as well if we get to the end of this season and he's not in that starting eleven. He's not cemented his place and he's still getting these knocks. When do you start saying enough is enough? Mm. Like it's what, 50, 60 million pound player and he's not playing like that. He's not delivered anything near that. I don't want to write him off yet, but you can't do what, two, three, go into that third year and still not be delivering. Mm. Well, we shall see. Fingers crossed. He does get that good run of games and gets a chance to shine and show what he's all about. Another player then goes to you, may be missing tomorrow, but for entirely different reasons, is Fabinho. And Klopp has pressed on this, how he's going to handle his situation because he is one yellow card away from a booking. And of course, if that came tomorrow, it would mean he misses the City game. What did you make of Klopp's response and, and how would you play it personally? Because it is, it's a tricky one. Like, Yeah, Liverpool uh, simply can't afford to be without Fabinho when they play Manchester City. That is the biggest game of the season. They can't afford, to, well, I mean, they can't afford to lose it, but it, it'd be such a... Such a deflating defeat, wouldn't it? With Liverpool flying high at the moment and looking to kind of kick on and, and establish a, uh, a more dominant lead than, than the one they've already got, which is already a healthy one. Um, for me, I wouldn't play Fabinho tomorrow. I think it's too great a risk to. Uh, if if the position, if there is a position where you're going to get a book and it's a defensive midfield position for yeah. me um, every day of the week, he's picked up some. He picked up one at Chelsea, which was a cynical one, but it, but it was brilliant for Liverpool because Chelsea were really coming on strong in that game. And I can't remember who it was. It might have been Kante. He literally just grabbed them and just thought them stopping this attack and he went into the book for that, uh, which is exactly what you want your defensive midfielder doing when you're trying to see out a game. But I wouldn't be putting them in tomorrow. I think Liverpool have got more than enough to get past Villa without him and I'd have him um, fully uh, rested and without danger of missing the, the City game. Uh, is it November the 10th? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so for me, I I wouldn't put him in. Jurgen Klopp said he hadn't made his his mind up. Yeah, he said he he wouldn't be going into the game without making challenges and without making tackles because you quite simply can't do it in the Premier League. So it's a difficult one. If he does play Fabinho, he's got, Fabinho's going to have to try and play that game so intelligently and measured and, and without mistiming and anything. So I think that's too much of a tightrope to walk. Uh, personally, I I wouldn't play him. It is a dilemma, isn't it, Theo? Because, like Gorsi said, he's so key to this team. He's been in such good form. I actually think he plays quite well when he's been on a yellow. There's been quite a few times, especially... Got one against Barcelona, didn't uh, he? Uh, yeah, 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 a couple of Champions League games where, you know, he's, he's he's ridden it out well. But, you know, it's one thing to play half an hour, maybe even an hour in a game when you're on the yellow and manage the situation. But, like Gorsi says, if it's from the start, it's something Villa can target. Do you think it's, it's a clear case of just not risking him tomorrow and saving him for next weekend? I wouldn't risk him just because you think of how Villa play. It's that 4-1-4-1 formation. They're going to have Jack Grealish and McGinn either side of him. They're both tricky players, quick on the ball. That's 
quite an obvious target if they're just going to try because their game plan is get it to those two yeah. so they're going to be trying to run at Fabinho race past him and the chances are he will make a dodgy tackle at some point because that's the type of player he is but that's what you expect in those positions and I think it was the City game last year wasn't it at the Etihad he didn't start that one everyone was surprised because he was just settling into the team just making it his own Liverpool lost the game ultimately cost them the title uh, he's not looked back since he's basically been one of the first names on the team sheet ever since so if you're looking at it uh, do you want to risk him not playing against City or would you rather have him miss out against Villa Villa's the obvious one like, it's going to be uh, Villa Park it's one of the more intimidating grounds in the division they're going to be up against the league leaders they're going to be up for it the fans are going to be up for it the players are going to be up for it and if they start well that's going to get that added spice in it that added mm. fire and that's the sort of game that you can see him getting a silly book in him. Absolutely. Well, I think we're unanimous there. But of course, we'll come on to our team selection later and we will see tomorrow how Klopp chooses to play this. Last point on the presser then, Ghostly. Um, and in fact, the longest portion of the presser mm. was almost a five-minute segment where Klopp was asked about the Carabao Cup, about fixtures, about the crazy schedule situation that's unfolding ahead of Liverpool's next couple of months. And yeah, he gave this, this lengthy response and was talking about FIFA and you know potential ideas of meetings to discuss this situation and I think he has a he has a very fair point. What what was your take on what he said first of all? And and you know, Liverpool are almost seeming to be punished by their success so far this season because they played in pretty much every game they could have played in in all competitions so far. But we we've got a real tricky situation about when when this quarter final is going to be played. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I think the way the way a lot of football coverage is now is uh, say if Jurgen Klopp has a bit of a moan about something that's seen as reason for ridicule and criticism and it's a way of having a go at Liverpool as a whole. And I think a lot of elite managers fall into the same bracket. I'm not just saying that's solely reserved for Jürgen Klopp, but mm. to be fair to the Liverpool manager, he was making a wider point about football in general. He wasn't just saying, this all has a big impact on me and my plans. He was He was making the point for football in general that these elite players are being flogged too often, too hard, being asked to play in basically that there are no international friendlies anymore. Every international game is a competitive game. Mm. They, they're getting sent across the world, and it's it's having a, a big impact. And it obviously has a has a negative impact on his Liverpool squad, just like it will do for Manchester City squad, Manchester United, any of the elite clubs you want to mention. All have a would have a problem with with this type of stuff. And um, some might say, "Well, tough," and you've got to deal with it, but. He generally was making a point that something is going to have to give and the football authority is going to have to look at their calendar and decide what is what are fixtures that can be cut and, and taken down because it's going to have a problem with the players who are going to have a problem later in their careers if they play too much football by a certain yeah. age and that's going to dilute the overall quality of the game that so many fans across the world love. So I thought he, I thought he had a wider point here, specifically with Liverpool over the next couple of weeks. Finding a spot for... I mean, the West Ham game's already been postponed for December... There are the, um, I mean, the, that date for the Carabao Cup quarterfinal isn't going to be played because Liverpool are in Qatar. There's some suggestion that discussions have taken place that it's going to be two Liverpool games on the same night, which would just be absolute farce, an absolute yeah. farce of a situation. Did you imagine Pep Linders taking charge of Villa Park with Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones while Klopp's in Qatar <laughs> with Mane and Salah? It's just, it'd be a ridiculous situation and surely something has to be, a, a better solution has to be found and that's up to the football authorities and, and the clubs involved to come to a, a reasonable conclusion. But generally, Klopp was making the point that, you know, this is probably too much and, and something has to be, a solution has to be found. And I thought he had a point, to be perfectly honest. He made a very good point where he said, 
not one day do the authorities think of the players and not the wallet. And I thought that mm. was that was such a such a massive statement for for an elite manager to make. And um, it's an interesting one. We'll see if anything is made of it. But until more managers come out with with similar gripes, I think it will just be a case of like it and lump it, Jurgen, which is a shame really because. He was making a point for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, since Klopp made his comments, actually, just before we came to the pod, um, Guardiola in his presser was asked about it and he he said, Theo, that he completely agrees with Klopp. So like Gusty says, this this United front of backing for that position where the manager is representing their players and putting this argument forward about how, how they're overworked, hopefully that does come to pass and a serious conversation's had about this with, with the football authorities. But where do you think the answer lies? Is it... Is it a case of trimming of trimming the domestic schedule, or is it as Ghosty was alluding to these these international fixtures, the the lack of lack of friendlies now and the Nations League and that type of thing? Do you think there is a an obvious remedy to it? It's a bit of a joke, really, isn't it? It's a shambles because you think, why are they only having this conversation now when Liverpool have reached the quarterfinals of the League Cup? Mm. Why was this not had at the start of the season when they like they should have known Liverpool were going to play in the World Club Championships and the fact that they didn't until the invite came in that was obviously a farce. But then you're looking at it here, it's just going to get worse the next few years because you're thinking what 2021 they're going to have the expanded tournament in the summer. So Liverpool players are going to have to play in that summer in this new tournament. You've got the Africa Cup of Nations in the July. So you've got what Mohamed Salah and Naby Keita, Sadio Mane. They're going to have to do in this World Cup for the clubs in June, playing the Cup of Nations in July mm-hmm. and being the start of the season in August. And then you've got the World Cup, what, December 2022? Is that when it is? And then that's going to mean the season starts earlier and finishes later. So it's just going to build up and get worse and worse over the next few years. But then you look at the fixtures. What can they cut? Like mm. They've already got rid of FA Cup replays. You could say, yeah, get rid of one of your League Cup semifinals, but that's just one game. Mm. And then you look at the league fixtures. It's like, well, they've spoken before about maybe doing 18 teams in the Premier League. And or splitting it in two, and you know, inviting Celtic Rangers. Don't really want to get into that because yeah. that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> and then you think, well, do you want to get rid of the FA Cup? Do you want to get rid of the League Cup? Do you just um, have them more streamlined? So you say you do up to your quarterfinals in the League Cup in uh, August, September, or you say, right, all the top Premier League teams, you're in, in the quarterfinals. But then that means the lower league teams, they don't get to play the big teams, mm. they don't get the big cup runs. You're not going to please everyone, but there has to be a compromise in there somewhere. And I think it's going to take just it's going to get to a stage where you are seeing serious injury or something because the players how are they supposed to get through the next two three summers and that World Cup and then go again? It's mm. crazy. Mm. And, and this isn't limited to just Liverpool, by the way, is it? it? It's a problem for virtually every top club in Europe, and not even the top clubs. Maybe, maybe the, the clubs who were in that in that bracket below who've obviously got top international players as well. So it's it's a really difficult. So well, what what is the solution? That is, that mm. is the big question, isn't it? Um, I just hope they don't completely get rid of the uh, the league cup because it's uh, I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. And and while we don't know when the next round is going to be played, certainly in Liverpool's uh, case, what we do know is how mad a game that was on Wednesday night. So we'll we'll briefly touch on that before we move on to the weekend's action. Ghosty, I mean, I I can't even remember the last time Liverpool contested a five five. Maybe they have, in it, but. What kind of game was that like? What was it like to be there in the press box on Wednesday? It's. I don't think I'll cover a crazier game for the, <laughs> for the rest of my career. I certainly haven't covered one as wild as it before. I don't think I've ever ever been at one live, to be honest. Um, remember four fours at Arsenal, and um, you can you can always point out one or two games. Arsenal, Reading was a seven five a few years oh, yeah, ago, but, yeah, yeah. but just. The, the the nature of that game, the topsy turvy nature, the the way it just kept swinging back and forth, 
some of the goals that were scored on the night. It was just it was unbelievable and and weirdly, I never actually thought Liverpool were going to lose, even mm. when it was three one and and it was a four two at one point. Yeah, um, yeah. I never never thought that, that this was done and dusted, and I think that just speaks to the the mentality that Liverpool have got in the group as a whole. We've spoken loads of times about how strong mentally the, the senior side are, but that seems to have transmitted to some of the young guns as well who just refused to let the head drop on the night. It was a Anfield start for for five players, I think. Seth Van den Berg, Brewster, Harvey Elliott, Nico Williams, who's making a senior debut. Um, goalkeeper. Curtis <laughs> Jones and the goalkeeper, Cueven Kelleher. So, so many young players getting the chance to, to play in Anfield. Uh, might have been a little bit, bit overawed by it all and, and the nature of the game, but they all stuck to the task. And I think it was great to see Nico Williams in the, the dying seconds slinging in the cross for, for Divock Origi to score yet again another massive goal in, in Liverpool's season. Um, that, that's all he tends to do, really, doesn't he? He <laughs> just shows up and scores iconic goals. And uh, what a game. I mean, it was. It, it was I mean, writing writing me match report was tough, but uh, in terms of the entertainment value, it was uh, it was incredible. What what a, what a game! Mm. Theo, who goes these listed? Obviously, all the, all the debutants there, and so many of the youngsters stood out. Who particularly caught your eye on the night? Probably Curtis Jones. Like he effectively yeah. came on and changed the game. Mm. And like you've seen him before for the twenty threes and in the UEFA the youth league, and he, he seems to have taken on another level. And before you get players that come through and you think, oh, maybe they'll maybe get a couple of games and that'll be it. They'll have to go on loan or that. But he's starting to show some real promise here. And you think when you've got slight, um, you've got players in the Liverpool squad and maybe getting a bit older and they won't be here forever. You're, I'm thinking of Yulanas, Milners, maybe even Shakiri. Maybe there is a squad role there for Curtis Jones in a couple of years. And he, if he keeps this up, he could easily get a chance there. And mm. what he brings to it as well is he's not just a normal central midfielder, is he? He's doing this in that wide left role. And he's shown he can step up, he can come off the bench and he can deliver. No, I don't think you really... You're looking at that Liverpool bench midweek. He was the obvious name to come on first, wasn't he? Because yeah. it was so young. And he delivered. Like Normally in League Cup games, you'll put, I will put Salah on there just in case. They don't need to now. That's how strong the squad is. And I know he's going back to the fixtures and that and going, oh, we don't want to play this game. Jurgen Klopp probably didn't really want to play this game. But you watch those celebrations after the penalty shootout, how much it meant to the youngsters. You've got mm. Harvey Elliott down on his knees screaming, Rian Brewster and all the lads just run into the corner. They want to be in this competition. The senior lads might not want to play because of all the burnout, but it's a great opportunity for the youngsters. And they grabbed it with both hands. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Staying on Curtis Jones, of course. I mean, obviously there's a lot of hype around Harvey Elliott. Every time we've seen him, he's looked great, especially against MK Dons in this competition. And I guess Bruce has been the one who, over the last year or so, seems to have been knocking on the door and looking to get an opportunity. But is there some sense in which Jones has almost gone under the radar a little bit? Because like Theo says, he's we've seen him in different positions, wide left, I think that was against MK Dons, wasn't it? And then um, in a different position the other night. But he does look like he could almost be about to break through. Yeah, I think he has gone under the radar slightly because he's someone who's always been at the academy, I think, since under nine age. Um, mm. So he's, he's been there half of his life and I think that might might be why he's sort of not being as heralded as much as, as Harvey Elliott, who was obviously a summer signing for Liverpool in, in a summer transfer window where virtually no business was done. So uh, all eyes were always going to be on him and the fact that he's the youngest player in, in Premier League history as well. So um, maybe that was a reason for it. Rian Brewster we know about and have done for a long time. And maybe there's a, been a little bit more attention on him because he has been the one who's been expected to push on a lot more in terms of making it into the senior squad. And 
there was a suggestion about 18 months ago that Liverpool were um, not looking at Timo Werner as a transfer target because Jurgen Klopp didn't want to block the pathway for, for Brewster. So you can see why the attention has been on, on those two and, and not Jones as much. But he come on the knee the other night and, and that pass for, for Rigi was a very oh, good one. It, it just basically cut Arsenal's midfield open and uh, Rigi was able to finish it off with a great finish. And I think I always think young players, it takes a while before you, you find out where their best position is. And I know he's the captain of the under-23s at the moment and he can play central midfield, he can play wide on the left. Um, actually think possibly wide on the left is his position at the moment where he's free to to make the mistakes and, and lose the ball trying one or two things that don't always come off you do that centre, in the centre of midfield and, and you're leaving your, your defence with a lot to do so um, plenty of time on his side to iron out those little little things to his game that he needs to and uh, he's another one who's uh, got a massive future ahead of him mm. whilst we're on the youngsters can I just make a point on Brewster here like you think um, he's played a couple of games I'm not sure if you two have seen it but he's got quite a bit of criticism on social media like fans saying oh he's overhyped he's not the player they thought he was and they're already given up on him but we think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, he's come out after the last couple of games and said he's not playing as well as he wants. Mm. Brewster was out longer than him. He's not played competitive football before. He's going to take time and they're just throwing him in at the deep end. And just because Oxlade-Chamberlain scores a couple of worldies, fans are like, oh, that's fine. And the slack this 19-year-old is getting just because he hasn't gone and got a couple of goals in his first couple of games, it's crazy to write him off. He's still a talent there. Jurgen Klopp obviously rates him by the transfer business. Mm. He's going to be an option. It's crazy just turn on these young players. Ah. But I'd always stand for that by some of the opinions you see on social media yeah. just aren't worth aren't worth a second glance. Mm. I mean there's a lot of reason debate on there, but there's a lot of nonsense <laughs> as well. I think that probably falls into the nonsense category right enough, mm. Rian Brewster. Ah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the age he is, like you're saying, I thought that was a good battling performance from him the other night. It almost showed the other side of him. You think of him and from what we've seen of him as just not not just a pure finisher, but someone who, you know, that's that's what he's there in, in the side to do, but played a kind of different role, obviously exerted a bit of pressure to play his part in that opener, the own goal. And mm. if things are different, just a couple of situations where the ball had fallen right for him, he'd, he'd have been through and then hopefully we would have seen that great finishing instinct that he clearly does possess. So yeah, totally agree with you there, Theo. One other man, just want to give another quick word to, I know Gorsley's already mentioned him, but David Carigi, it, it, it struck me the other night, I was kind of looking at that team and as the game progressed, obviously he had, he had the vital contributions, but I was thinking of him as one of the senior men in that team, which he undoubtedly is, but he's still only 24 as well, Theo. I mean, what what you make of his situation now? Because that was he, he played very well, and obviously it was a game in which he started. And but in typical Divock fashion, he, he he had he had the final say right at the end of the game with two late goals and did his typically very cool and muted celebration. Took it all in his stride. But is he? What what's his kind of situation now? Is he is he almost at the point where we, he's got to be having more starts for the first team, or do you think he's just happy doing what he's doing? It just made me realise how much younger than me he is. I don't know, 24, it, <laughs> is, it is mad. But he seems to have been around forever. I remember him scoring at the World Cup. Yeah, uh, for, 19, wasn't he, at the yeah. time, yeah. Well, he's having this impact more and more when he comes on, but I think he's got to be realistic. He knows he's not getting in that front three when they're available. And maybe it's at the stage now where Jurgen Klopp occasionally goes to the 4-2-3-1 and he'll get a chance there, mm-hmm. like we saw with Shakiri last season. But when you have that whole Liverpool squad, all fit, all firing, he doesn't start. He, he all knew that was the case when he signed his contract. It's probably one of those where it's going to protect his value a bit. He can do another year or two at Liverpool and then assess because there will be a stage where he doesn't want to be a substitute at Liverpool. But then players are more accepting of it when they're at the right club. Yeah. Like, um, thinking back to United when they won the treble, they had four proper good quality strikers. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was just that substitute striker then. Um, you look at Manchester City now, 
yes, they rotate it a bit more as Aguero's legs age, but Jesus has had to make do with that more of a substitute role for the majority of the time. So if you're winning trophies, your team's winning every week, you've got to be sensible about whether you really want to walk away from that and give up on that success when you are going to get a lot of opportunities still just because of the amount of games and you are normally the first player off the bench. So he, it's what he wants, whether he wants the medals when he retires or he wants to say he played as the main man for, say, a Wolves or a mid-table team. Mm. It's one of those, isn't it? Personally, I think he'll stay for a little bit longer. He wants the medals. That, that's why he signed this contract. It can't have just been about emotion or sentiment because he scored on Champions League final. But how he feels now, how he felt in the summer could be very different in a year's time. Mm, well, long may he continue doing what he's doing, scoring every single goal he scores. Seems to be a, a big one for the Reds, no matter what game it's in. Um, final point on this one then, Gorsi, and just want to turn to something that happened before the match essentially was Pep Linders took the pre-match press conference, um, as he did, to be fair, I think ahead of the MK Dons yeah. clash again in this competition. But I think before that one, Klopp was was he at an awards ceremony. He was he was away, wasn't he? So, you know, I think that was put out there as one of the reasons why Linders was doing it. Um, again, you know, obviously, fair enough. It's 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 the the Carabao Cup, and it's it was a different situation, and it made sense. But we, we've seen a little bit on social media, especially since he did that first press conference and got a bit of exposure. Quite a few fans thinking, "Hang on, this this fella sounds brilliant. He's he's steeped in Klopp's philosophy. He knows the club and the players well." And I guess the I don't know almost some very initial and early talk of possible succession candidate when Klopp eventually does decide to leave. Do you think there could be a, a kernel of truth in that? I'd, I'd suggest he's the front runner at the moment. Um, mm. I mean, it's like it's like the old football manager trick, isn't it? Where you can click send assistant to the press conferences. <laughs> That's what Klopp seems to be doing for these Carabao Cup games, and he's been uh, so impressive when when he's been sitting there in the big chair handing out his, his tactical dogma. Um, just by chance, I've I've missed both of those press conferences. I've only seen them um, on on video, but he comes across as very passionate, very intelligent, such a, a knowledgeable. A, knowledgeable person on the game and that's very much the, the way he's seen inside the camp at Liverpool I know he's so I think he's he's, he's well under 40 he's is uh, once into management with was it Nijmegen was it in, in Holland mm-hmm. that, that didn't quite go to plan but you know that can happen for for a manager in his, uh, his first steps in management you look at someone like Gary Neville who went to Valencia and, and was done within months wasn't he back in the yeah. Sky Sports studio and I think a lot of people would would say he's another like uh, excellent analysis of the game. So, Linders, I'd suggest that. I mean, I wouldn't be saying that the Klopp's anywhere near the end of his no. Liverpool tenure. He's still got three years left on his contract. But if you were to ask me right now, who would be a successor? I'd, I'd put money on him. I mean, we know people's reputations and stock can change almost overnight in football. But he seems to be someone who's very steeped in the way the clock works and, and he, he's his right-hand man and, and knows the game, knows his players. So, yeah, he's been very impressed by what I've seen and, and heard from him so far. And um, I know we've, we've we've done pieces with him before and we think we, we had a two-part chat with him earlier this year. Mm. Um, so I'd advise anyone who's a little bit unaware of, of what he does behind the scenes to go and check that both of those pieces out. So there's a fascinating insight into him and what he does at Melwood and... Um, yeah, you can see why he's such a, such a highly regarded coach. Mm. I think Gorsi's made the key point there, Theo, which is obviously that Klopp's got several years left on his contract. The club made it clear, certainly in the summer and, and whenever there's an intimation coming out of the club since, that they'd like him to stay beyond that, ideally. Um, 
So yeah, it, there is no question that this is a decision that's going to have to be made anytime soon. But do you agree that Lindis could be the front runner? We we had echo heard from Carragher this week. Jamie Carragher was speaking about Stephen Gerrard's prospects and. Uh, when the question came up of could he potentially be the next candidate to take over from Klopp, he said, why not? And pointed to the job he's doing at Rangers. I think they, those two, certainly at, at the moment, from this kind of hopefully quite long-term perspective, seem to be the two names that are being touted. How do you see it? Personally, I want it to go to Linders as things stand, just because there's so much success at Liverpool and it's smoother transition, isn't it? Like mm. We Whilst you can say, oh, Stephen Gerrard's doing a decent job in Scotland, it's a very different task to come back to Liverpool and just pick up where Jurgen Klopp's left off. Like It was such a tough job for Klopp to transform them from missing out on Champions League, missing out on Europa League, to winning the Champions League and hopefully winning the Premier League. It's not going to be an easy job to just go, oh, this squad's great, I'm just going to sit back and let yeah. them carry on. At least Linders, he's there, he's part of it. And we've seen Liverpool before when they've had just given it to the assistant and it's worked brilliantly with Shankly. Paisley, Fagan, etc. But my one concern whether that is really going to happen is because when Klopp was asked the question, he said Gerard. Mm. But it's a it's a hard one to call because Klopp obviously trusts Linders and it is more they're all on the same page. It feels like a proper team and it's not just the players, they're all it's the coaching staff too. Like I think back to say when Rafa was in charge, I remember Sammy Lee doing a couple, I think like Arsenal away, you know, and had that weird cross of kit with Grey shirt, whatever, when Robbie oh, King yeah, scored. Yeah. But I think that was when Rafa was ill, so Sam <coughs> Dilley did that. Uh, there was a game when Brendan Rodgers was ill as well, so Colin Pascoe did it. But the managers there have always been the main men. It's not been about the coaching staff. Whereas with Klopp, it is oh, when he wins a manager, they might have noticed, we've all done this. And you've not really seen something like that at Liverpool since probably Jared Hulia and Phil Thompson. Mm. And that's only because Phil Thompson sort of had to become the manager for six mm. months. So I reckon Linda's... He's still early days, like Gorsty said, he's very young, but he's there. He's seen these all on a daily basis. And you've seen many times in football when the assistant stepped up and has done a good job, but we've also seen when they've stepped up and not done a good job. So it's the gamble Liverpool have to make when the decision has to be made in two, three years' time. I think I think Klopp might have said that one about Gerard, just sort of almost playing to the gallery. I mean, if he'd have said, uh, oh, well, Stevie's not getting my job, it's going to be Pep. I think if he'd have said that, <laughs> everyone would have been like, oh, well, come on, why is he saying that? But yeah. I think... I think Linda's um, just just hearing them speak in these these Carabao Cup press conferences is fascinating, and it gives you a it's a little bit of a different voice from from Klopp's, and uh, just gives you a little bit a little bit of a different insight, and and you can you can't see why he's so um, so highly regarded as, as one of Europe's brightest coaches, definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, as we say, I would stress again that hopefully this is a decision that is way far down the mm-hmm. line, but just become a bit of a talking point in recent weeks, obviously. Uh, turning our attentions then to something much more immediate. Villa tomorrow, um, a trip to Birmingham for you and the Reds, Corsty. Yes. What have you made of them so far? Because I was just having a look at the table before, so 11 points from 10. Reasonable start. They've already won three games and they've only lost one of five at home. So pretty solid. Um, obviously a bit of a cliche, but do you think this, this is a bit of a banana skin for the Reds with, with a big week to come? And obviously not saying for one minute that the focus will already be on City, but... Pretty crucial clash tomorrow. Yeah, it's a big game and it is a difficult one. Um, I think I was looking before. I think City have um, Villa have won four of the last six, and, and one mm. of those was a defeat to Manchester City. And to be fair, in, in the first half last week against City, they, they played quite well. They were compact. They got men behind the ball, and and they broke out when they could. And it was only the fact that City scored within a minute of the of the restart to kind of crushed their spirits a little bit that day. So it's it's going to be a difficult one. Dean Smith's got them playing good football. I like McGinn, I like Jack Grealish, um, Wesley up front is, is a bit of a handful. So it'll be a tough one for Liverpool, no, no question. Um, particularly if, if they approach it without Fabinho, who 
again, I, w- I would suggest is mm. is left on the bench. Um, so it'll be a tough one, but you know you, you've got you you can't scare around the issue. If Liverpool want to win this Premier League, they need to be going to Villa Park and, and winning this one. Mm. Well, you made it, Theo. I mean, Gus, he's already mentioned a couple of their threats there, but Grealish, McGinn, even Wesley's popped up with a few goals and filled the the Tammy Abraham voids. Um, got a bit of threat about them. Yeah, definitely. Um, look in the past, Villa have been a banana skin for Liverpool, and it's always that sort of striker, isn't it? Like Wesley, they had Benteke, and he always seemed to score. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, Wesley doesn't pick up there. Yeah. Um, but it is it's those two playmakers. Um, McGuin, McGinn has been great for them. Scored a lot of important goals, getting them promotion. Grealish, I'm still a bit undecided on him just because the way Villa talk about him, there's been that hype for so long. He's now in his mid twenties, and he's not got the England cap. He's not getting the goals or assists that you'd expect for a top quality player. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's a bad player and he's obviously good on the ball, but there's still jury's still out whether he can make it at the very elite level. But they are a dangerous team. And when you look at the teams that have come up, how close it is in the mid-table, I don't think anyone's thinking, oh, Villa are going to be in a relegation fight at the end of the year just yet. They've spent a lot of money. They've got some good players in, like we've seen Tyrone Mings, been in England squads. Mm. And Tommy, and he was a very good signing in goal. Uh, they've got a player out wide that Mo Salah will know very well and Trezeguet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of threats there. And they know what they're going to do. Like Dean Smith, he's just come in and he's fit with the club. He's a Villa fan. You know, you look before how angry the fan base were when Steve Bruce was in charge. Do you remember when they, was it a cabbage they threw at him in like one of his last games? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's Steve Bruce. <laughs> it's completely nice changed under Smith, hasn't it? Um, and like I said earlier when we we're doing um, on this, Villa Park's going to be up for it. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. be an intimidating atmosphere. It's going to be a tough game. We said a few weeks ago before the United game, you're looking at form. Villa's the one that you're a bit wary of. Hopefully, Liverpool can go along the City route and just get a goal early in a half. Granted, maybe the first half, not the second half, and kill it. Mm. We'll see. Mm. And as much as we say the focus won't be on City, Gorsley, looking at the bigger picture, Liverpool cannot afford a three-point swing ahead of next weekend when, when City comes to town. Oh, no, no. Uh, it's the one thing you do not want. Um don't want to be going into that thinking City can go level on points. Um, particularly when it was eight points, what, two weeks ago. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, it, it's a big game, but they always are, aren't they, these days with Liverpool. I think um, I'm, I'm getting next week at home. That'll be a bit of a chance to, to rest one or two ahead of that, that game against City next week, but the focus should be on, firmly on this one. And as Theo says, they've, they've got plenty of threat. Um, I quite like what I've seen of them so far, to be honest. thought they were unlucky against against Tottenham early doors. Mm. So, yeah, it'll be a tough one for Liverpool. Um, and this is exactly the type of game that Villa fans would have dreamed of when they were slugging it out in the Championship, wouldn't they, last season? This is why they fought so hard to get back into the Premier League for afternoons like this. So they'll, they'll certainly be up for it in the whole end. Mm. Absolutely right. We'll be turning to team selection then. Um, let's go back to front. As good a game as Keller, Keller had the other night and obviously Adrian's had a good season. I mean, Alisson is in goal, is he not? Where Andy Lonergan. Andy Lonergan, of course. <laughs> yeah. Andy Lonergan. How could I forget? How could I forget? <laughs> Theo's fave. Uh, Alisson in there. The back line then, I guess we're all saying Trent and Robertson on the flanks. Yep. And then yep. it's simply a question of who partners Van Dijk. So, Theo, who's your who's your other man in the middle? Oh, I want it to be Gomez, but it's going to be Lovren. And then I can see him maybe throwing Gomez in instead for the Champions League game. So, I'll go Lovren. Ghost, did you see it playing out like that? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe with Joel Matter being out for X amount of games, uh, Ian Klopp wouldn't specify, but maybe with him missing the next couple of games, it's a chance for to get Joe Gomez back up to speed and, and back into the kind of form that he was in earlier last season when, when he was so good before that injury. Um, 
but I think he might just stick with Dan Lovren at the moment. Mm, I, I agree with you. There. I think it'll be Lovren tomorrow and uh, Gomez against Genk, and then assess the situation again for City, I suppose. So midfields, um, I think we're all agreed that Fabinho is not worth the risk, which presumably means Henderson in the deeper role again. Genie for me. Interesting, Genie. Genie there. So go on. What what would your three be then, Theo? Um, Henderson and James Milner against his former club. Mm. Uh, it's that Brexit midfield again, isn't it? <laughs> but um, granted, in a slightly different role. But I think they're the ones on form. Like Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, whilst he's getting the goals, he's still feeling his way back. Mm. And James Milner has been so consistent this season. Um, people have written off Jordan Henderson at times, and he rose them emphatically last week against Spurs. And, and Alden, I suppose, he's a bit. He's a good player as that number six. There's a bit more about him. He's always looked comfortable there. And whilst Jordan Henderson can do it, I think there's more of a reluctance now from Klopp to put him back in that role. I haven't had him more advanced, whereas he's quite confident putting Genie wherever he wants. Mm. It's a good point, actually, thinking about it. And obviously, Henderson Gorsley coming off the back of that recent goal against Spurs. How would you go in the middle? I want to start Oxley chamberlain but I'm wary that he hasn't played much football and asking him to, to make another start so soon after what was an absolute epic that must have took so much out of the legs on Wednesday. I'd be wary of him starting that. So I'm a, as much as I want to stick him in, I'm not, and I'm going to stick with Henderson as the number six, who I think has played a lot more played there a lot more than Wan Aldum over the course of their Liverpool careers. Uh, Milner and Wan Aldum, yeah. Mm, okay. Um and then the front line, I guess it's that eternal question. Is has Arigi done enough for a start or is it is it the usual suspects there? Usual suspects. See, um, last time I went to Villa Park, it was the 6 0 where Ricky came off the bench and scored. So, repeat if that's fine. Mm-hmm. You can come off the bench and uh, finish the job. <laughs> we'll take that. Get another kiss off the fans. Gorsley, <laughs> uh, same again. Yeah. Origi uh, <clears throat> is the. He's a, I mean, even before last season when he scored all those crucial goals against Barcelona and Everton and Madrid. Even before then, his, his kind of Liverpool status was a man to get the big goals without contributing a lot in between. Look at scoring against Dortmund, didn't he? Uh, home and away, scoring against Everton um, when he, he was really in the form of his Liverpool career. Um, so there is a there is a spot for him in this squad, but I think long term he, he's got a big task getting those front three out the way, and, and it will be the front three tomorrow. Mm. Um, final thing that remains then predictions. Theo gives a scoreline. I want to go for another 6-0, but it's not going to be anywhere as comfortable. Um, let's go 2-1 Liverpool. 2-1 Liverpool, Gorsley. I actually think it'll be 1-0 Liverpool. Oh. Tough. James Milner against his former club. Penalty, yeah. yeah. We'll take it. Oh, I would absolutely take that. I'll go 3-1, just to, just to be slightly different. I do think Villa have got something about them and they'll get one, but as good as they are going forward, I think they are pretty porous at the back, so 2 or 3 for the Reds, hopefully. Uh, and we will leave it there. Plenty going on this weekend, not just the, the, the trip to Villa. There is, of course, the mini derby. The Reds uh, and Everton under-23s um, taking each other on at the academy. I think kicks off at 2pm on Saturday, so there will be plenty of coverage on the Echo website about that. And, of course, um, Aston Villa against Liverpool. And we'll be back on Monday where we look up back at both games and ahead to Champions League action and, of course, Man City next weekend. So, goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.